Hello, and welcome to the Wheel of Time Rewind Podcast. I am your host, Dylan Stoll, and I'm joined as always by my friend, Michael Whifford. We're in the ways. Oh, wait. <laughs> yeah, so we got another episode of the Wheel of Time coming out. It's called Into the Ways here. And by the time you're listening to this, I'm sure most of you will have hopefully watched it already. Um, so we are, were in the ways for a hot second. Lots of stuff to talk about while we were in there. But we did get Faldara as well, which I'm actually really excited about. Yeah, it looks so cool. So we're going to get into all of that, break down this episode, what we liked, what we didn't like, some of the stuff that we have issues with, some of the stuff we really enjoyed. So before we get into all that, though, friendly reminder to get in contact with us. You can email us at wheeloftimerewind at gmail.com. Or if you want to get at us on the social medias, on Instagram and Twitter, it's at W-O-T Rewind. Tag us, share stuff with us, chat the show or books with us. We're happy to do any and all of the above. Speaking of and that... people made sure our DMs worked out. Yeah, done. they did. They did. So why don't we uh, have a little conversation about that stuff? Uh, real quickly, um, just a shout out to... A couple people who DM'd us on Twitter. Thank you for making sure it worked. Uh, The Reanimated Podcast said, Hey guys, enjoying the podcast. Glad to be listening to people who read the Eye of the Worlds more recently than the 90s. Hello. (laughs) Uh, Big surprise for me to hear that the actor playing Matt is changing, which we did talk about. And it is a bit of a surprise if you uh, didn't catch those news before the series dropped. Anyway, keep it up and looking forward to listening more. And it's Stuart from the Reanimated Podcast. And apparently they talk about zombies. So I might have to check that one out. That sounds cool. <laughs> Thank <laughs> Thanks, you, Stuart. Stuart. <laughs> and then Matt Scott also, or Matt Scoot, at Matt Scoot, underscore Scoot, also messaged us. And uh, he was just asking when we reviewed the episodes and stuff. And so I chatted with a little bit to, with him. But thank you for checking to make sure our DMs worked there. And on top of that, we had a email. And this email came from... Chris Allen. And Chris, thank you so much for sending this. I've been reflecting on it quite a bit on thinking how to respond to it. It was quite a long email. I'm going to read a short snippet and then talk about some of the big points from it. And then, uh, yeah, we'll, re- we'll respond to it here. I'm still enjoying the show, uh, but I'm also concerned about how they're going to handle the unfortunate circumstances with Barney Harris, yep. who departed, like we talked about last episode, and where they are heading regarding the points we brought up uh, last episode with like the waygates and how those are run uh, and there's still spoiler <laughs> some questions about that yes. in my book at least there are there are and uh he also brought up points about setting up the audience for a disappointment uh with the dragon if it doesn't end up or if it isn't the person it is in the books which we figure out this episode anyway <laughs> or do we and well yeah we'll talk yeah. about it Yes, we will. And then also the maturity of the show uh, as it transitioned into a visual medium and kind of the maturity that they've been bringing forward with some of the characters and some of the scenes in the last episode and in this episode. So Dylan, what were some of your thoughts on... Well, I guess we'll tackle the maturity because we will talk about the dragon a bit more in this episode. Yeah, we'll talk about the dragon a little bit more later on um, as it relates to what happened in episode seven, as well as addressing the departure of Matt's actor and how (sighs) that might impact the series as well. But as far as the maturity level of the Wheel of Time show goes, 
we all know that right now, after seven episodes, we're getting a much darker turning of the wheel than what we were expecting, especially from the first three books in the Wheel of Time series. In Eye of the World, The Great Hunt, and The Dragon Reborn, it's much more, not necessarily family-friendly, but more like teen adventure fantasy, um, where you have your typical like Lord of the Rings-style violence. It's pretty PG with a lot of the romance and everything. But when we're seeing this or played out on screen here, it is a lot more violent when you're seeing the Trollocs visually dismembering and eating people on the screen versus when you're reading about it. I know there's plenty of violence within the books when you're seeing like the fade that gets like nailed to the door and is oozing blood and all kinds of nastiness like that. We get plenty of mentions in the books of the Trollocs eating people. And so like what I told Mike is that I do feel like we are getting a darker turning of the wheel on screen here. But let's not pretend that The Wheel of Time has ever been a children's fantasy novel. What we are reading, or what we have read, is more teen adult fantasy where you are seeing violence, or you're hearing and reading violence on the pages there. You are getting the theme of a polygamous relationship within the books. You are getting multiple mature themes from the books. Now, what makes it more difficult with the transition to the TV show here, though, is that instead of reading all of this, where you have the ability to make it as gory or not gory as you want when you're reading a book, you're seeing exactly what you're getting on the screen here. Mm -hmm. And so the Trollocs, for sure, are a pretty vicious element. The violence that we're seeing so far in a couple episodes um, the relationships that we're seeing so far with Alana taking her two boys to to bed, where we don't get a scene of the bedroom, but, you know, the implications are there. You're seeing uh, Lan and, spoiler for this episode, Nynaeve getting freaky. Um, Egwene and Rand have a much more matured relationship on the screen here as well as compared to the books. And then, of course, you have the relationship between Moraine and Swan, as well, it is explored a little bit more on screen than we get in the book series as well. And so what all of that really says to me is that I really don't see Wheel of Time being at the same level as Game of Thrones as far as the maturity content goes. I don't think we're going to get uh, some of those brutal um, sexual assault scenes that we got with Game of Thrones, like when Ramsay raped Sansa or anything like that, but I do think, you know, we are still going to get some heavily implied sexual situations in Wheel of Time as we continue and other relationships come to light. What do you, uh, what are your thoughts on this, Mike? I agree completely, and I was thinking a lot about it this week. We talked earlier in the week about this, actually, as we read through your email, um, Chris, and while I understand wanting to share this show with others like Lord of the Rings, uh, which you stated in your email, I don't feel that that is the vision from the creators. They are trying very much to merge this with the last successful uh, fantasy TV show, which is Game of Thrones, and trying to show a lot of the details in the world and cater to audiences who liked uh, that aesthetic and those scenes. And like you said, Dylan, 
we were able to control the narrative and control the vision of what we saw in our heads. And like I shared with you earlier in the week, I've read these books so many times that when I read them, even if it's a gory scene, it really isn't that gory when I'm imagining it. It's very much a very colorful and vibrant world. Whereas the one we're seeing in the show is much darker, grittier. But I don't think that's bad. It just makes it difficult um, to share with kids, really. Right, yeah. yeah. This is not a kid-friendly show. This is very much high school on, or, you know, there's a lot of violence, a lot of blood. Especially when we open up this episode, we're going to talk a lot about that. It's not appropriate for kids, but I think they wanted to show the reality and the, the situation these characters were in and how difficult it was and the decisions they had to make and how much was at stake. Whereas sometimes in the book, because you were following this main character and you were reading all these things that happened, it, it, did, it didn't have that weight to it necessarily all the time. Especially in the first three books, it was, I don't want to say sugar-coated a little bit, but... Uh, Robert Jordan definitely didn't use his descriptive writing to describe these relationships and the way that our characters felt about each other and their interactions in uh, any kind of graphic way. He was not trying to write a romance novel. And, you know, the TV, uh, the producers are trying to make this a lot more enjoyable and trying to hit all these different notes for different audiences who may want those things a little bit more, who want to see the thirst trap that is lamb <laughs> who want um to have memes made about him and every fangirl and fanboy you know oh my gosh land uh, at his butt it's <laughs> yeah well now his butt and his chest and his abs you know all of it uh because that sells unfortunately i mean unfortunately or not unfortunately whatever you think um a lot of people want to see that and i think there's some good things that come with it but like you've brought up it there is some bad. You aren't able to share this necessarily with maybe your children. Right. And I think that decision really comes down to what you feel is appropriate for your children to to see and at what age. Yeah. But, I mean, this this is going to be, as we've said several times now, a much darker turning of the wheel. And instead of hearing mm. about a well-turned calf, we're going to be seeing more booty. <laughs> yes. Even if it is in the implied or in the background, but Chris, thank you so much. This, your email uh, was very thought provoking and definitely took a lot of reflection on. And I like that you brought up this maturity theme because it wasn't what, or it wasn't something we talked about right, since that yeah. first episode. I, yeah, again, just like thank you so much for interacting with us and you know sending this well thought out email. We definitely appreciate all the great points you made and we do like hearing from you guys and we love hearing having these conversations because like Mike said, him and I had like a 30 minute conversation on the phone earlier <laughs> about your email about like how we wanted to address it and everything and talk through it all. So it was definitely enjoyable and thank you so much for listening. Yeah. Now talking about mature uh, content. So yeah, let's jump, jump right, right in? in. We're going to get into episode seven into the ways so we're going to start off here with the blood snow. And oh my Oof. God, can I just say how much I was in love with the first little cold open here that we got for this episode. Mwah! Absolute yeah. perfection. I loved everything chef's about kiss. it. Yeah, chef kiss, baby. <laughs> it was definitely epic. Um, I thought 
you know, panning in on Tigrain Mantier, who is played by uh, Magdalena Satova. She she was she was awesome. She brought the fierceness. Yeah, and we get this whole scene where there's bodies, horses everywhere, the snow is covered in blood. You're like, what happened here? Where is everyone? Obviously, they're all dead, but still, where is everyone? And that that is one little thing I was just a touch disappointed I, on. I really me. did want to see other Aiel. Yeah. It again, we got this. I got this feeling of just like just desolate. Yeah, like there was no one around. But yeah, so what we have here is we have Tigrain, who we don't actually ever see her name, but or hear her name, I should say. But her character is Tigrain, and she is a a Kyrianin, or was she? No, no, she was Andoran. Yeah, yes. so she was. We we probably shouldn't go over her whole backstory. Just all right, so yeah, we'll we'll go. We'll leave that for a later time, potentially. She is naive. Yes, she is no. an Aiel when we see her. And so the one thing I did not really like about this scene was the veil. And I understand this because you have this Aiel shield maiden, right, um, who is wandering up the slopes of Dragon Mount, which is this giant volcano that we had mentioned is like the burial monument loose there in Telamon, the, the last dragon, as he's referred to in the show here, what he made when he like finally died. Like he drew in all the one power that he could and boom, Dragon Mount was his tomb afterwards. So massive. Um, but anyways, really we cool. have Tigrain running up this mountain, looking for a place to settle down and deliver her baby. Because she is super prego when we see her. And yeah. she is she is wearing the veil, the veil when we first see her. The black veil. Which, you know, black veil mm-hmm. Aiel, that's where it kind of comes from. They cover their face when they kill. She lowers it. Because she's not planning on killing any more people right now. She is planning on having this baby. However, that is the one negative I'm going to say about this scene. Is that any self-respecting Aiel would have pulled up that veil immediately before killing again in the books we have examples of aiel getting ambushed in the middle of the night running naked out of their tents to defend themselves with nothing but their veil wrapped around their face so it is a priority other than that little detail i thought the scene was amazing yeah i'm giving her a pass she was having a baby being attacked her mind was elsewhere but little little points off there contractions and everything else yeah i'd agree though but yeah, other than that, it was amazing. We get to see some fantastic stunt work here, which she did all herself, which I Ooh. found that out. And I was like, "Oh, that's impressive as well. Like that some of the really choreography impressive. for the fight scenes there were pretty sweet. Um, mm-hmm. We see her take on a bunch of different arm, so a bunch of different men here, which are all from Ilian, or at least yes. with the Ilian army. The army, yeah. You see the bees, yes. nine bees on their armor. That's like their crest for Ilian. And after she finally gets stabbed and gets rid of her last assailant, she's sitting down to give birth. And then we see somebody come up, put a sword to her chest, but he doesn't necessarily kill her. We get to see this soldier, so like kind of a big profile of him, and then we cut to credits. So Mike, just tell me your thoughts on this scene, man. So the action, like you said, was just astounding. It really was such a well-shot scene. The action was so cool. And I hope we get to see more scenes like that. 
I think they really it really shows how tremendous the Aiel are. Right. And I hope again we see that as we continue through the series. I did want to um, point out, and I did have a little question. It's not really a big deal, but when she's running, you kind of see like things flying through the air and hit, hitting Dragon Mount. Couldn't I was pretty sure it's just catapults because you did see like little I think cat, like machines of war kind of around some of the bodies of the horses and other things but i was wondering if it was either um catapults or the one power did you have any kind of leaning either way i just thought it was machines of war like just kind of flinging shit around because you see uh (laughs) you see um some other ilianer soldiers scouting farther up on the mountain there and so they they spotted to grain and they're they're the ones that ran down to like come and fight her and everything but yeah, like I thought all in all, this scene was an amazing way to kick off this episode and definitely got my attention, definitely had me drawn in and I was fully engaged when I got to this, the end of this scene here. Um, yeah, all that's my thoughts on the blood snow here. And I'm calling it the blood snow because in the books, that's what this particular battle is referred to as like it's yeah. fought right outside, um, outside of Tarvalon with on the slopes of Dragon Mount. And obviously there's snow around, and we see lots of blood. During so, the Aiel yeah, War. Yeah, it's during the Aiel War. Yeah. But yeah. It's kind of it. I mean, you see, not much you see the sword, say, you see, yeah. see the crane. A little it, foreshadowing and... for a little uh, little dude we see later on with no helmet, but we'll talk about that when the time yeah. comes. All right. And we go forward. Going and... forward and jumping into the ways. So yeah. here, before we go any farther, let's just address the matt that's not in the room because (laughs) i have i have some feelings about this and i'm sure you do as well um so yeah i have a few strong feelings about some things that happened in the scene yes so So first of all i'm going to point out something that i don't know if any of uh the viewers have thought about yet i don't know if you thought about either it is the lack of fear that Loyal is showing right now of being in the ways. Yes, I wrote that down. I'm so glad we're in sync on yes. this. Yes. So in the books, Loyal, uh, who is the Ogier, he is absolutely terrified and super, super hesitant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> super hesitant to go into the ways because of Ma Chin Shin. And we don't see any of that fear being translated on the screen here. We just see him saying like, I'm going with Moraine Sedai because Ogiers are not built for speed and doesn't really address anything. And he didn't either last episode and I didn't bring it up then because I was kind of saving it for this one since I thought we'd spend a majority of the episode in the ways, but we haven't, we spent maybe 10 minutes, maybe less in the ways yeah. So, um, talking about Loyal's lack of fear, that was an eye-opening thing for me as a book reader here. What were your thoughts on that particular part? Oh, definitely. That was something I noticed. Like, he's not scared? What? And then also, just hit, it, the lack of speed thing, too. That was kind of weird, because they could outrun horses. Yeah, yeah. I was like, okay. And I mean, like, Are you just... saw Loyal ride up with his horse, at the end of last episode. And I was like, whatever. Yeah. He does ride a horse. He gets familiar with his horses. But yeah, Ogiers trust their own tuned feet. Just like in Aiel. They will run and run and run. And Loyal can go the distance. But yeah, eh, small change in there. Kind of a little maybe nitpicky. Maybe but they're doing it to save a budget. So they don't have to CGI him running super fast. I don't know. 
But anyways, I want to get back to this Matt discussion because this is where we already start to see the impact of Matt being gone on the plot. We see all of the other Emmons fielders be like, Matt, Matt, we have to go back. We have to get him. And they just aren't. And it just creates this entire tension now of what will happen the next time the group sees Matt. Who in the group will see him? And just what will be their attitude towards him? Because you have this guy who is supposed to be your friend that in the show now just left you. has just abandoned you. And has chosen to follow his inherent darkness that we'll talk about in a bit. Which I think is presumably the dagger. No. Remember what? So Moraine says later on. Oh, the she's dagger like, was feeding Yeah, the dagger was feeding on him as much as he was feeding off the dagger. Yeah. And being like, yeah, I, we don't want to bring him anywhere near the dark one because we already know whose side he would pick. And we can't have the dragon turning to the shadow. And the whole time, I'm just like... They're just trying to explain him yeah. him leaving and not being present. Yeah. Yeah. It, I, I wrote that down. I had another issue with this scene, if you don't no, mind. No, go for it. Yeah. It. Get in. No use of one power in the way. Yeah, so I was going to bring that up next, too. Stupid. <laughs> I'm just sorry. Like... Straight up stupid. The ways is created with the power. In no sequence, like nothing in the book, did that call Ma Shin Shin. And also, if you're opening the gate with the power, you that have should basically be like, oh, that's that's a that's you ringing the doorbell. Right. Hey, Ma Shin Shin, we're over here. Come and hang out with us. Yeah, like dinner is served. Come and get our souls. I feel like they just did that to make make you know create create drama. Basically, explain why he would follow. Them. Yeah. You know, or why you would find them. And also, no, like, Loyal just like, Ma Shin Shin. And then, like, nothing else about it. Don't worry. Yeah. Like, uh, no, Loyal would have been quaking in fear and explaining it to you a million times well, over. you did notice how, like, Rand was like, we get it, Loyal. We get it. When he started talking about it. And, like, that little smirk Rand got when he was saying that, like, we already see him, like, learning how Loyal likes to go on and on. So, I get that particular part. But the other thing I want to mention with Loyal, too, is, like, when he's explaining the ways there's no mention of the male Aes Sedai creating the ways for them he just mentions oh there used to be fruit trees at every path and now it's just pocked stone and everything and so like taking a couple seconds to just mention that the ways were made by the Aes Sedai and in particular the male Aes Sedai Mm -hmm. I think that would have been a little that would have been worth it I feel like in this episode we got a lot of forced exposition And some scenes that just didn't feel good. Like, but that with Loyal was fine. Um, I did also just want to say the whole Loyal and Rand comment. It I like it because I understand from the books, but from what I've seen in the show so far, it just makes it seem like Rand's being a jerk. Yeah, because they haven't ever let Loyal go on for too long yet. Correct. And they haven't and had so much screen really... time together either, so... <laughs> yeah. So you don't really get that. It just makes Rand seem like a jerk. And I was like, I don't I don't really like how that comes across. Yeah. So we already mentioned how Loyal went over, how there's no use of the one power in the ways because it will summon Machin Shin, and how we don't really like that, um, especially with the way they're going about using the one power for the ways here. But we yeah. do see Perrin's eyes coming out to play. Now, while Perrin's eyes may not be golden completely yet, because I've been looking for that to see if they fully changed, which yeah, I didn't they, see did, it they didn't. <laughs> and uh, 
We are seeing some of his abilities, though, of being a wolf brother, where he's having that really great night vision, and he points out, oh, there's something up ahead, and everyone gets freaked out because it's a slashed-up guiding post. Which, I mean, I thought that was a good way to, like, demonstrate, you know, things are changing with Perrin, you know, like... Yeah, it was a great little nuance there. Yes. Um, and I wanted to hear your thoughts, though, about the ways in general, because what we're seeing right now seems to be this, like, super dark and, like, almost, like, stormy area where there seems to be almost, like, power lightning going on within the ways. So what are your thoughts on just the portrayal of the ways in general? I think that's cool because it makes it seem unnatural mm -hmm. or, like, kind of, you know, other dimensional, which it, it kind of right, is. Yeah. And, like... If you read the or hear the explanation in the books from Loyal, it used to be this, like, you could see the skies above. And so now you can't see the skies because it's all dark. So you would probably still have this, like, weather element mm. in there. And so I think that's kind of cool that they're doing, like, the lightning. I think I think that's fine. Um, I like the – I wrote this down. I had to look at it. I like the stones and how it was almost like uh, – it definitely looks like it was like man-made. Like people mm -hmm. created all these like uniform shapes. shootings of rock yeah. that came up. Yeah, I thought that was pretty neat. And I mean, did I expect these areas to be a bit bigger? Mm. A little bit. It seemed very much like it was a very narrow like hallway almost the entire time for them, except for the islands, which I, I know there were paths, but I guess. I didn't expect it to be quite so as narrow. Yeah, I think that's just showing the deterioration of the paths, like in mm, a more true. like pronounced way, because we do get in the books how the ways are basically crumbling and falling apart. I did want to come back here and talk real quickly. Uh, Land's comments to Nynaeve. Land and Nynaeve in this episode, it was such great relationship building for them. And I just, I, I saw that throughout the episode and I just loved it. His comment, uh, um, naive about the bet he had with Maureen on how she was going to react. I thought that was funny and really charming. Yeah, I thought that was a little odd, honestly. Like, I was like, why would you be saying she's, like, skulking or, like, scowling or whatever? But, well, they have spent, you know, a while together at the Warder campfire all the time. That's so true. I'm sure that's they've true. had... They've seen her reaction. That's that's kind of what I took from yeah. it. So. But uh, the thing I want to mention next is we get uh, the flash of lightning when they say someone's following us. And we get a little somebody lurking in the background here. We get a yeah. little pot and fane hiding in the darkness. Well, that's the next part I was going to say. We hear his little whistle, which if you remember when Moraine and the rest of the party got into the Tarvalin on that episode there, when everyone met up in Tarvalin, um, Pot and Fane was there in that episode, and we heard a little whistle right before we saw him there as well. So here, mm. we hear the little whistle, and then we get the Trolloc attack. So The singular my, Trolloc yeah, attack. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what I was going to say, man. I was so like, we have a single Trolloc that pops out to come here. I'm like, so why? Dumb. Why one Trolloc? Like, you have to have known, like, Lan can take on three himself. Like, yeah, why just one? Again, he, Lan didn't sense it. That was the other, right. like, I know we talked about the range of his sensing. But I told like, you, man, they've nerfed the water powers by a lot. But yeah, so we get a quick mention after they beat the Trolloc here about how, oh, the Trollocs must have been using the ways to get to Emmons Field. Or the two rivers. They never say Emmons Field. They always say two rivers as well. 
Yeah, small little small little nitpick, but just making that little nit and picking it. Um, anyways, but we get that quick mention of it, and then we also see how Egwene's like, "Oh, I didn't mean to use the one power," and so she was like, "I did just did it instinctually." Like she probably thought she was doing the one power. And just wasn't aware of it because her and Nynaeve, although they are both power users right now, they aren't fully trained. They aren't mm-hmm. fully aware of what they do and everything. And then we get the panic because we're like, oh, no, this is going to be calling Machin Shin. So they're running away and they get to the end where they're going to go to Faldara instead of the Eye of the World. And so I want to hear your thoughts on Machin Shin. Yeah, and uh, I, re- I want to go over this too. The suddenly changing of direction, because they were like, oh, it's a full day's walk tour to get to where they need to go or full day's journey. And then all of a sudden, Faldera is like right there, you know, a five minute run. Yeah. Uh, right after they get caught. They're, they didn't spend enough time in the ways, in my they opinion. Didn't. Because it doesn't, it feels like, okay, you've just popped in, you pop out. And yeah. I know, I know it does make tra- travel a lot quicker, but they needed to. The pacing with the show in some of these scenes needs to just be adjusted a little bit to help us as the audience realize the distance for some of these things. But going forward to Mashin Chin, the Black Wind uh, kind of looks like a locust swarm, honestly. Yep, that's kind of what I thought. It looked like a bunch of bugs. And apparently, if you are susceptible to, you know mean girls telling you all the worst things about yourself (laughs) you're going to get talked to death yeah i know i was like oh my god so machin shin in the books is so much more deadly and i was like your soul yeah if it touches you it steals your soul like this is awesome scene in the books where they're pinned against this way gate and they have to like they barely get out and this trollic was chasing the group behind them and as the trollic is stepping out Machin Shin touches the Trolloc and it starts to consume it and pulls it back into the ways. And so I was like, oh, this is going to be awesome seeing this happen. Like, how are they going to, like, say how deadly it is without killing someone, really? And the answer is, it's not deadly at all. It just talks mean things to you. <laughs> so, And apparently like, oh, you man. can keep it away with power. Even though you're yeah. Not supposed to use oh, power. you can't use the one power in the ways. Oh, except Nynaeve, which is a power explosion. Apparently, <laughs> and that's all she has right now. Shields it's just it. A power bubble. Well, yeah. So thinking about Nynaeve, though, she is super raw, and especially with her being as powerful as she is, and having that block where she's unable to use the one power unless she's feeling like super angry or frightened for her life or anything like that. I think it's mostly anger, but the In show kind of makes it look. Anger. Yeah, the yeah. show kind of looks like, like fear as well. Yeah. So anyways, when she uses the one power, it's always been, the two times she's used the power so far, have been in these raw explosions of emotion where she doesn't know necessarily what she's doing. She's just doing what kind of comes naturally. And so far, there's been a shield to protect and a massive heal, again, to heal. Um, so Nynaeve, you know, she she was using the one power. She's able to. You can still channel in the ways. It's just you're not supposed to do it because you would summon Machin Shin to you. Yeah, and I guess you just don't want that conversation. Yes. Um, but before we move on here, there are some things I wanted to bring up um, as well. So back when everybody was making camp while Loyal was translating the the stone there for which direction to go to. Yeah. The guiding stone, yeah. Um, I, how would you think about Egwene coming over and be like, Rand, let me in, man. I want to get some of that cuddles. 
Oh, yeah. And then you had, um, wasn't it Perrin? Yes. We had Perrin kind of giving them like a sullen look and everything. Yeah, and a bit then, jealous. Yeah, but I, we'll, we'll talk about that next. But I want to hear like what your thoughts about like with Egwene basically trying to rekindle this relationship with Rand. I mean, it makes sense. Like when they reunited, it was just like they've been looking for each other this entire time. And now they're back together and, you know, we're picking up where we left off. Like nothing's changed, but things have changed and they haven't really addressed that yet. And that I think they're doing that to help lead into the blow up later on. Mm. Yeah. But anyways, part of what we hear with Machin Shin talking nasty things to all our traveling friends here are how Perrin wanted his wife dead because he loved another woman more than his wife. And apparently it says like your deepest fears or thoughts about yes. yourself. So, you know. Yes. But I, I heard that and I was like, what? Perrin? The unfaithful murdering husband, apparently? <laughs> But I don't I know. Mean, I know they, uh, we're going to talk about it more later, but I know Perrin and Egwene do have a very strong friendship in the books. They have a good friendship, yes. Because they went through so much struggle together. They spent that entire time like, with the Tuathawan. Yeah. I feel like in this episode and like previous episodes, we've gotten a lot of character development for Nivain, Nynaeve sorry, and Lan. A bit for Rand and Matt. And Egwene and Nine. Yeah, well, I already said Nynaeve. But Perrin's kind of been left off yeah. a bit more than I think he really should be. You had the big thing, tra- traumatic thing happen at the beginning. Then you had another traumatic thing happen. Like, just shut his down. His whole life is just trauma. Yeah. <laughs> That's so. his whole thing. But also, so yeah. we get to this part where Machin Shin is talking nasty thoughts to everybody, trying to, you know, convince Your them. Ugly. Yeah. Trying to convince them to go kill themselves, basically, is what it seems like. <laughs> Yeah. But then jump off. I'm like, Join us. so my thoughts on this are like, okay, Moraine is being affected too, but she's taking forever to open up that way gate at the other end to form that trifoil leaf out of the one power to open it up. And it's just taking so long. She's like doing like a slow motion matrix backbend arm swirling thing and then slow motion reach out and touch it. And I'm just like, this is a little too much. Makes you wonder how the other gentleman comes in and gets out. Well, that's what I want to talk about a little bit later. All right. Okay. So we'll save that for, for a couple minutes here. Then we get, uh, they get out. Get and, out. Go to oh, Faldara. Just dismiss it from your mind. Don't, so don't talk about anything. Don't talk about what it, what that was. No one even asks or like, there's no explanation for it, really. You just see just Rand crying. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, oh, forget about it. Yeah. It's just like you you should at least talk about what it was and why they shouldn't listen to it like this is where you put exposition this just happened to you they would have questions about this they should ask the question what the heck was that you said machin chin you said the black wind but like what is it what is it literally oh we don't know but it does this and like if you listen to those voices and walk towards it or give in to it like that's when it steals your soul like, yeah okay now yeah. we know anyway and then we get Faldara Faldara in the distance and it is desolate around oh it. yeah city looks cool as all city hat. looks awesome i thought that it looked great around it because you're talking about the borderlands who are like basically little forts of strong points against the dark one and there's armies in the in the blight but anyway so we get top an knots. introduction yeah you get the top knots we definitely get the top Ooh. knots we get the introduction to uno in his bloody great language so <laughs> it's good to see uno there although 
I will say, like, I always pictured Uno as, like, the short dude with the black eyes from Mulan. <laughs> and I did not expect this blonde white dude to be Uno. <laughs> but whatever. It's fair. I liked his it's eye similar. patch. I thought that was yeah. that was pretty great looking. Um, but then yeah. we get Lord Agamar being rude to Moraine. Oh, gosh. Yeah, don't... <laughs> I do want to get you started. (laughs) I felt like for the first half of this episode, I was like, what are they doing? Why are they butchering this character? Why are they butchering this character? Like, loyal, Agomar. Just listen, Borderlands, especially in Faldara, Mm -hmm. like, you respect women. There's a whole women's quarter. You don't mess with women. They have the right of it. And you don't mess with Aes Sedai. They are respected. And you did not get that. No, 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 no. In this scene. Which, and this is where we had that forced exposition that I just did not like. It did not come across in a good way. Like, Maureen's trying to talk and give him this warning. And he's just like, oh, we've stood for thousands of years holding Tarwin's gap. We don't need I said I help or assistance, yada, yada, yada. And I'm just like, dude, no, no. You, would, you should have one of the Edmonds fielders have a conversation as they're walking to their rooms or something and that's where it's explained and you should be revering and listening to Moraine Sedai and giving her all the respect she deserves because that is literally like your culture yeah no see I really like Agamar I like his look but I really did not like how he was portrayed as being a rude whining leader and proud yeah way too proud and like in the books I really like Agamar and so to see him portrayed that way like, for that first half when he was, like, bulldozing Moraine. Didn't like that. Did not like that at all. Um, but, I mean, the second part where we do see him, like, starting to, like, calm down off his high horse and everything, he starts to get more likable. And I really do like um, his little, like, shoulder wings that he was wearing with, like, the bird on yeah. the back. I thought that looked really cool. Oh, the, out- the costumes in this episode were really great. Like, all the outfits were really well done. Yes. So we then get a break to see our favorite peddler, Pot and Fane, stepping out of the way gate with swagger. So let's talk about this for a minute here. All right, Mike, go into it. Let's see what we got. So I've seen some pictures on the internet. Yes, I I have. I was going to bring that up. Where he has, this is, I guess, a spoiler probably for next episode. Whenever they see him and there's a flashback or something, uh, apparently... He has the the Avendasora uh, leaf, Avendasora yeah. leaf, and so maybe because he has it, there's no other way to get in except through the use of the one power. Which, okay, I could accept that if they did it that way, and they'll probably maybe go back and explain that. I don't know, but him getting in and that going into the ways and then leaving the ways, and he's still just whistling and all swaggery. They're really setting him up to be like this spoiler here i guess you can just close your ears for a moment like super villain because in the books he just looks like this he's supposed to be this bedraggled thing that doesn't have all the swaggered and that's you know at this point in this in the series is supposed to be just like yeah a crazy supposed to be person. like this torn up busted looking beggar a shell but, of himself yeah a shell of himself but here's what i wanted to talk about with this so we have matt left behind on the other half of the world of the ways and so he just leaves them exactly so fane came in behind them because he was in tarvalin so he used the tarvalin waygate how the heck 
did he get past Matt without going after him or, you know, Matt following him or at least seeing him and being like, hey, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing here in Tarvalin? I saw you at Beltine getting attacked with the rest of us by the Trollocs. And so, first of all, that's a plot hole right there. Second of all, I saw the pictures of Pot and Fane holding the, uh, the Silver of Endosaurus Leaf. My, dip- my problem with this, though, is that it's a bonus content feature that shows him holding this. You should not need to go digging through the bonus content to make sense of what you're seeing on screen. I'm Can really happy. The, uh, extended cut of all these episodes. For real. I don't care if they're three hours a piece. I'll watch them. <laughs> I'm really happy to see an Avendasaur leaf, but Moraine and the rest of the party made no attempt to even search for one. Moraine walks up and immediately starts doing her, you know, her Aes Sedai little wave to open up the way gate there outside Tarvalin. But yeah, Loyal never Loyal searched never for an Avendasaur leaf. He never mentions it. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know what's going on with that. And so my other thought is maybe they're going to be making it a Turangriol where you don't need to channel to use it, where mm-hmm. you can just walk through the way gates with that. And I wonder, too, if maybe, like, they'll make it so, like, Fane had that of Indosaur Leaf. Yes, and, like, yeah. The Aes Sedai had talked, had learned to use that one um, without the Avendasaur leaf or had learned how to use the ga- gates without the Avendasaur leaf. I guess that would be a way to explain it. Right, maybe they didn't know the existence of the Avendasaurus leaf. Because again, yeah, the ways are not something that are traveled often. No. Although Moraine to be makes it, of Yeah, them. you're supposed to be so scared. But Moraine doesn't seem like they're any big deal at all. And the other thing I want to mention is there is the possibility here that Fane could become a male channeler. What what are your thoughts about that? Because spoiler, in the book he cannot use the one power. Mm. But if they do not have this trifoil leaf that he's holding as canon, and there's only one other way to get out of there, and that is to use the one power to open the gate. So what are your thoughts on the possibility that they're going to make Fane a Forsaken and or a male Chandler? Are you serious? Did someone actually say that as a theory that they'd make him a Forsaken? Yes. No, 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 no. I Like, I know they've merged some characters' stories and arcs and things, but no. No. And again, so that, that's, a, that's a theory by other people that have watched the show, not by any producer or anything like that that I'm aware of. I understand. I'm just saying, like, no. Yeah. Because Pat and Fane has such an interesting storyline that's outside of both the shadow and the light it's he rides this line like he starts in the shadow obviously i mean it shouldn't be no spoiler now that he is obviously a bad person right and he's obviously he's a dark friend. aligned with the dark he's watching people get slaughtered by trollocs whistling the entire time like eating no, an apple he, or whatever yeah like he like it's no big deal so obviously he's he's with them but he goes through so many different transformations mm-hmm. and I mean, we can infer that he's done the same transformations in the show as he's done in the books because he's been following them this entire time. So, I no, no, I just I'm not going to open myself up to that right now okay. because I I don't think that makes sense. I don't either. Um, knowing the character arc that Fane goes through in the books, but just want to throw that out there because I've and, heard it and I I'm 
I'm violently shaking my head no. <laughs> okay. What do you think about this, though? What if they have it that Pat and Fane took the dagger from Tarvalin, um, and we find out later that he has it, and then that's how they bring Matt back into this in the second season? Is he traveled following the dagger? And Maybe, but they've, with them. they've made no mention that he is still linked to the dagger. The indication we've gotten from Moraine is that she's completely freed him from the dagger's corruption. That she knows of. That she knows of. Because one thing, moving on here, um, that Perrin brings up later on, which I actually really liked. And I'm going to come back to other things here, but I just want to mention this part now. Moraine mm. cannot lie even if she wants to. She makes that abundantly clear when speaking to Nynaeve. When Nynaeve starts to get a little sassy, she gives her the smackdown, saying, I can't lie, girl. I wish I could sometimes, but I can't. But so what Perrin says, which I really like, is that Moraine can't lie, but she can tell what she thinks is the truth. Not necessarily the truth. The absolute truth. as long as she believes what she says is true... She can say mm-hmm. it. So she can be wrong. But moving back here. Well, we, we see Perrin C. Hold on. We see Perrin C. Oh. Fane within the gate oh, of yes, Faldara. Right. So we know that Fane has been following them in Tarvalin, keeping an eye on them there from the two rivers, mm-hmm. um, has been now seen in Faldara here. What are your thoughts, Mike, about what he's doing in Faldara? Because his purpose for being there in the books has not happened yet. Correct. He's just following them. Just being the Dark One's hound? Yeah. Which, I mean, yeah, I'd say so. Okay. And maybe maybe because they've mentioned in the show that the Dark One doesn't know which one it is either. Yeah. Maybe his job is to figure out, out which one they decide it is and then to go after. Mm, Okay. So the next scene we see is <clears throat> Moraine talking to um, Lord Agamar's sister, Amalisa, inside Faldara here. Mm-hmm. And she basically says, hey, you tried to become an Aes Sedai. You failed because you're not strong enough in the one power. But you want to send a little message to me and tell the Red Aja to go find Matt Coffin. Yeah. She ain't never doing that. No, 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 no. I thought, th- I thought that was like really just. That had me pretty perturbed because I was like, there's no way in <laughs> this light forsaken show that that should be happening. And yeah. oh man, I was, I had so many thoughts. I'm like, why in the world would you do that? I mean, I understand that Moraine wants to keep tabs on that. And telling the Red mm. Aja, hey, you need to find this man coming from another Aes Sedai and leaving it vague like that. They might assume he can channel and go out and grab him and contain him. But at the same time, you know, it's... Well, they won't be able to gentle him, so... No, they I can't guess... gentle him. And I guess at this point, she's, at least in this version of it, she's willing to take that risk because of his inherent darkness. Yeah. Which is not explained very well. No. But I was not very happy at all with this scene. And again, it just keeps painting Matt because he's gone and has to be recast, you know, by 
Madonna Finn in the next season here. They yeah. are just doing taking so many liberties with his character and doing so many things that I do not like. Although just, I'm wondering if this is going to be a way for them to get him in the tower for a certain awesome scene to be played out on screen later on with a quarterstaff. Oh, oh, that'd be fun. I'd be okay with that. Like if they found him and brought him back and then they were like kind of keeping okay. him at the tower on watch for a certain amount of time. And then they're like, all yeah. right, you're not, you can't channel. You're free to go. Or like he relapses and we sort of get what we wanted last episode where the, he was just recovering mm-hmm. where he relapses and they realize like, Oh no, like he ha- still has a connection to this dark thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe that's what they do. I'd kind of hope that's what they do with it, because that makes a little more sense to me. Uh, and that would kind of bridge it nicely back into the books, and then yeah. you kind of go into some other storylines there. Exactly, but exactly. Uh, but then, You got what you wanted. Yes. I got what I wanted here. Min is not some warrior princess. Uh, yes. She is a bartender, and she's a she's got some sass, and I, I dig it. Yeah, so I was a little afraid that Min was going to be forced into a warrior role and she was not thankfully and i want to say i am happy with that decision um yeah but i do again want to point out moraine walks into a bar and everyone instantly whispers i said what's she doing here oh my gosh is she gonna pour something in my drink yeah is she gonna do something to me yeah so i didn't like they would be like can we buy you a drink miss yeah i didn't like that we love you but yeah. men getting out of men, she's wearing mm. pants. I checked that multiple times to make sure yeah, she was wearing pants, great. and she is. She's wearing big flowy pants, but I will take it. I'm happy about that. I thought that she's a little old, but she's supposed to be a little older than the group. But yeah. I don't know, maybe like a little too old in my uh, opinion. But she seemed like she was maybe like seven she's, or eight. Seven, she seemed like she was in her thirties. Yeah. Not too old still, but um, I th- she brings such an interesting element to the show and to us because now we have so much speculation to do off of like the oh, things yes. she sees. I'm looking which forward I to liked, that. Yeah, I liked how they did some of the sight that she saw because you okay. got like it was like what it was the picture, but it was almost like it morphed off of them a little bit. Yeah, in the books, how it's explained, it's like it's around their head, like these images are around right, their almost head. like a halo of images over their head. It should be difficult, like, if you have other people around you, like, and they're casting that. So seeing one at a time, and also, too, as we learn later on, she doesn't share everything yes. she's learned. She does keep some things for herself. Um, so I do. I did want to ask you what your thoughts were about her vision for Moraine. Uh, can you remind... I didn't write Moraine's down. Can you remind me again what Moraine's was? Sure. So... Min said that she saw the Omerlin seat in full regalia above Moraine and that she was going to be, that the Omerlin was going to be Moraine's downfall. Yeah, that didn't make much sense to me. Seems like that's going to be a different plot hole they're going to, or a different plot point they're going to bring in later on. Because it seems to me like that might have already happened, you know, with the Omerlin, you know, banishing Moraine from uh, the tower, you know, exiling her and everything. So, like, I don't know, like, if that's what it's referring to or if it's something with a little bit more details for later on. 
Hmm. Yeah. We got to be careful with Min because some of what she sees, we can speculate on in the future because we have an understanding, but right, right. it might be difficult. Like, uh, so just going over some of the other things she saw with the girls, she saw like a light and a golden ring that made me think of like Aes Sedai. Well, so no, not, that's not what she told me. Uh, that's not right. what I got out of it. Okay. She said she saw a golden ring and yes. she didn't say what girl it was for. I took that as a certain ring belonging oh, to a certain someone. Yeah, that's a good one. That's yeah. good. That's good. And uh, then also she saw a white flame above someone else. And again, you know, knowing what we know, I pretty much can tell you exactly what that means. Yeah. Um, okay. But I do want to also just go over what Min's power is really quick. Yeah. Just like good. how it's explained in the show here. And then we'll talk about Rand and. Parents yes, is. yeah. So we see that Moraine explains Min's power as she's able to catch glimpses of the pattern, and she's kind of referred to as a seer within Faldaura by um, Amalisa. And so that's kind of like a big general explanation of it. Like she just kind of like catches these images, like glimpses of the future or the pattern's plan for a certain person. And sometimes she knows what they mean, sometimes she doesn't. Yes. And, like, so she explained it as well, where the clearer the image it is, the more certain she is able to talk about it. And, like, the more certain mm-hmm. she is of it taking place. Another thing about Min, everything she sees happens. She has never yeah. had a wrong vision. So it's important to pay attention as well. Okay. Um, uh, going... Then we get, well, her vision on Rand was Rand holding a baby. Yep, Rand holding a baby. There could be much speculation about that. I have my own thoughts. Yeah, and I, I mean, we know what it is. <laughs> and then we see a parent with golden eyes and blood draining down his, or blood down his chin. Like, that's really just the wolf right. in my mind and, like, that the violence and, yeah. Agreed. Um, so one thing I want to point out as well is after we go to this bar here we never see loyal again in this episode oh he, wow oh, he wow. just vanishes and we don't see him again in any of the background such a good point yeah and even later in the episode yeah and, wow i'm glad you brought that up because i thought I that was a little weird realize. yeah that is so weird yeah um, he didn't but, even <laughs> enter the city or was in he there. He did, he did. He was oh, the he last did. time that you see Loyal, right? Uh-huh. Is he goes to the chamber with the Emmonsfielders oh. standing in the background when Moraine's talking to Agomar. But then also when they're walking down the hall, Man. you see Loyal in the background and that Come scene on. as well. He but you don't see him. The time. They need to like keep including him. You it's don't see him in the bar scene. You don't see him anywhere else in this episode mm. going forward. But agreed. If they're going to use practical effects, there's no reason for him to not be included here. Correct. Like, he's not just like, your budget. I'm going to go read in the library. Like, yeah, that would have been great. Something like that. And boom. Yeah. Okay. See you, loyal. Vanishes. Peace. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Next part I want to talk about here is we get Nynaeve. Yeah. We get Nynaeve doing a braid tug, as I thought I was going to bring up. But we get our first actual braid tug here. But also, uh-huh. Moraine lets the beans out the bag and tells everybody that whoever goes to the eye of the world and is not the dragon is going to die. And Again, make, make your decision if you're coming with me or not. <laughs> like you said before, Dylan, and Perrin brings this up, 
the truth she says is the truth she believes. It doesn't necessarily mean it is the truth. Right. It's not gospel. And so I think the writers of the show are using that as a bit of a scapegoat to say things now that wouldn't have been said in the books. Yes. Um, because I wanted to bring this up as well, is that if Moraine believes anyone who goes to the eye of the world that is not the dragon will die, that means she believes she's going to die. Correct. And land. So that's kind of leading into what happens at the end of the episode, which I also had a problem with, but... Yes, we'll we'll get there. We'll get there. Um, so we then see Moraine hanging out on the balcony. Fight, 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 fight. fight. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I was talking about the fight between our Emmons fielders. Oh, hold on. I'll I'll get to that. I'll get to that. Uh, But what I wanted to bring up was Lan and Moraine's little conversation here because Moraine blatantly lies, like straight out lies. Lan's like, what's wrong? And and, uh, Moraine's like, nothing. And then she's like talking about like how she starts reminiscing about how she first met Lan and everything like that. And clearly something was bothering her at that point there. So for her to say that nothing was bothering her is a straight up lie. And that's something that yeah, that's I, point I did not really like at all. Okay, but getting back in here, we're going to talk about this fight that Emmonsfielders have amongst each other right now. I don't really have too much to talk about with this scene in general. Yeah. I didn't... I mean, it's kind of a needing to happen because they saw each other it was like oh all warm hugs and stuff and now you're finally getting some of that tension of between parent and rands and because you can't have just a straight up relationship between one group of people or just a platonic relationship or i don't know what's going on here it's just weird and nynaeve obviously knows something about how perrin feels towards Egwene, and or at least suspects suspects it's just yeah i mean to me i was like okay yeah, not Maybe much not. to really talk about. I didn't really like it. I did want to get back, and then we get into Maureen and Lan on the balcony there, and the lie, which I didn't quite catch, so good on you for that one. Uh, I like, though, that Maureen knows about Lan's feelings towards Nynaeve. Right, yeah. Of course she cool. does. She has that water bond. I She's know. supposed to pick up on his feelings, so. I know. I wish they, I wish he had just been, like, maybe just, like, like, she Side could have said eye. something like, you really think you could have hid your feelings for her exactly. from me? Exactly. That's yeah. exactly what she should have said. Right there. Subtle and easy to say should have been done. So, Amazon Prime, if you would like, you know, <laughs> some people to help with writing or give some ideas. I know, you know, we're just a teacher and a school psychologist, but we'd be more than happy to review some of your notes. And our fair, or like, we wouldn't be too expensive. No, comparatively. No, maybe like maybe like a cool million each. <laughs> <laughs> just joking. All right. Anyway, so we get just Nynaeve. take us to a couple premieres. Yeah, right. I'd settle for that. Nynaeve, Nynaeve follows land to dark. dinner. Yeah. Yeah, I liked it was that was a fun little scene there, and I like that you got to see Lan with um with the other uh <laughs> Zahir. Mulkiri. I looked yeah, I stopped it. You, d- you could tell he was a Malkiri because of the band around his forehead there. Yep. You saw. Um, I don't remember. I know we learned about him in New Spring. I didn't yes. remember his traveling companion's name in New Spring. Oh, man. Um, I know. I, I know. don't remember I didn't look it, it up either. But anyway, this guy's name was Zaheer. And in according to New Spring, like 
after New Spring, all of his old Makiri babysitters were uh, had passed away. So it was kind of nice, though, that they brought him in because, you know, it leads to later explaining about the kingdom of Malkir, which that did not, that exposition did not feel forced. No, and that one felt okay. I was so okay. thankful for that. Mm-hmm. It was really the only exposition I felt like that was super forced in this episode was by the King of Aldera, Algamar. So I was glad that we didn't have that. Um, okay, so I got it. Yeah. All right. So in New Spring, Lan's traveling companion is Bukama. Yes. Okay. I didn't think it was Zaheer. I thought it was I didn't either. Different. Yeah. But he also travels with Rain. Mm. And, or Ryan, or however it's supposed yeah. to be pronounced there. Anyways, um, not in the show right now, going back in here. But yes, I really like the scene here where you see Lan stepping into like that Malkiri dinner there. Invites yeah. Nynaeve in. And I thought the transition from where Lan's at the table to all of a sudden he teleports to right next to Nynaeve yeah, was a little it felt odd. Like teleportation. Yeah. yeah. It should have just lingered on her for a couple, like, another moment or two, like, turned and, like, looked away for just, like, maybe even, like, ten seconds, just, like, breathing in and then just, like, breathing out. Like, she just decided, like, I can't, I can't go in and force myself as much as I'd like to join him and be part of his life and then turn around and then he's there. And, like, that would have made a little more sense, but it was very quick. You're right. Again, there were some things in the show, this episode, just felt very... Boom, boom, boom. The ways. Ten minutes. Of course. Hmm. Anyway. Uh... Uh, okay, so next up, Nynaeve and Lan mm-hmm. are going back in the hallway there. Mm-hmm. And so I have this scene coded in my notes mm-hmm. as Nynaeve has a snack. Oh. <laughs> we got the thirst trap. We got the land thirst trap. And then all <laughs> the fan girls and boys went wild. Yep, so Nynaeve and Lan... <laughs> briefly she depart and then she's like okay i'm i'm getting me some before i go die tomorrow <laughs> exactly i'm gonna roll me some herbs on them abs tonight <laughs> sorry but yeah so night even land sleep together and yeah then and so chris uh, shout out uh yeah <laughs> if you're i hope you turn this off if you were watching this with anyone else at this well it wasn't well, really too bad yeah not too bad i mean um, but anyway so yeah we get we get this scene here and I kiss, thought that kiss, it was kiss, kiss, really kiss, good. Kiss, I, I like the chemistry you're seeing between Nynaeve and Lan. Yes. As I said, they did a really good job building their relationship this episode, making it stronger because you saw it. It wasn't just implied like, oh, we spent the last month together. Like it was shown like throughout. You got these little quips. You got these like him walking into the room and closing the door. I was like, oh, man, I wanted them to kiss. And I was kind of surprised by that but i was like that's good because that means that they've created that chemistry right and you know and then when he's in there and i'm just like okay this is kind of weird why are they maybe he's gonna say something or just like do something and then all of a sudden the door opens i was like oh (laughs) it's happening but anyway so then we get on to rand shooting all over the place outside there apparently yeah, no ran flame in the a, void there no pretty bad shot um and then Egwene comes out and Being very Rand's, vulnerable though yeah Rand's like oh i didn't come looking for you because i know when you're ready to talk you come find me which that was a good line it was it was i thought that was a good line. i thought that was a good but line. but Egwene was having none of it she was like mm-hmm. really man let's let's talk now 
So then the they of fear was good. Yeah, they make up. They talk about how they're afraid of losing each other. And Rand's like, you have to go to Tarvalin no matter what. I'll be your warder. If anyone's going to be your warder, it's going to be me. And then, of course, they have a little makeup sex. And what were your thoughts on this one? So, uh, I mean, most of that's, you know, here or there. It's it's fine. But the omission from Egwene, like, if it's you, this, and I was like, foreshadowing we've seen this happen twice yeah we've seen it happen twice matt and rand and now Egwene and rand and st- standing by him even if he is the dragon and Just i was stand by like, him no matter what yeah no matter what and i was like okay they I, I was i was very happy they did that it would have been really cool if he had gotten something like that from perrin too i agree but as you see, they're not really on the best of terms in this episode. Um, so yeah. it would have felt a little different. Maybe they could have had like a makeup scene between them and then something happened. But again, they've really been kind of keeping parent out of it. And it just does yeah. not make sense to me because they're really just character development. As I said, Nynaeve, Lan, Maureen, uh, Gwen, Maybe a little of. bit. Yeah. And then Rand, and then a little Perrin, bit. And Matt Perrin, a little bit, and Matt a little bit, and Perrin's just like kind of. I feel like he's the least, yeah, outside of trauma. So then we jump into Nynaeve doing her braid back up because, yeah. of course, Rand's you know, backstory. You learn Rand's, or sorry, you learn Land's backstory here. Land on how, Rand. Yes, how he's a Malkyrie king, and that's what Daishan stands for. Is like mm-hmm. the king of you know of Malkir before he takes his throne and everything. And I was just thinking of something like, you know, this scene here where he tells her, I want you to stay would have been perfect for him to give Nynaeve a little token that he gives her in the books, which he may have. We don't know. They've actually, I'll give the show this. They've done a really nice job of going back and doing these little flashbacks that yeah. add so much more into what's happened things we might be like why didn't they do this but then we find out oh they maybe they did. did yeah we're just we're not privy to it because like you said we don't have a force perspective right like we're we also in not an omniscient books. narrator yes, as well yes yeah that's true um but then i also wrote down here that land shows Nynaeve that moraine doesn't own him as well and i thought that was important. yeah i liked this scene because it was really Nynaeve low-key finding out if she like Lan had room in his heart mm-hmm. for her. Like if there exactly. was going to be more than what there is right now. And I, I just thought that was wonderful. Yes. Now, next scene, we get what I was just talking about a little bit. We get a fever. We get a flashback to a fever dream. Uh, well, it's it's Rand kind of having these flashbacks here of a fever dream his father was having when he was dragging him or taking him from their house after the Trolloc attack down to Evans Field where he's explaining what happened in the blood snow. Yes, yeah. And so we get this narration of Tam Thor babbling in his fever state, saying like, oh, I heard, I saw, I ran up to the mountains because I was hot and I needed to get in the cold. And then I heard him crying. He was so small, like talking about the baby. And so I thought it was interesting though, because like we see him with Tigrain before she gives birth like holding onto her hands and he's like oh i heard the baby crying and i went there he was so small and 
thought it was a little inconsistent there. Yeah, but a little bit. Willing to forgive it because I was so happy to see the fever dream flashback here. And then yeah. we see Rand get up out of bed and like going through the scenes of Rand secretly using the one power throughout the series so far, using it to boost his strength to knock down the Ironwood door, which we totally called. Yep. Then using the one power in the ways to kill the Trolloc and knock the Trolloc off and mm. not Egwene doing it. It was Rand swinging his arm, using the one power to push the Trolloc back. Um, and we see him full flame in the void, bullseye after bullseye, shooting there in the arrows there. Yeah. And I kind of took this as Rand is accepting his fate. Yeah. And like Rand finally coming to dragon. terms. Yeah, that he is the dragon reborn. And then this is where we get what I was talking about earlier, where Min doesn't necessarily tell everything to um, <laughs> Moraine. And there's reasons for that. Yep. And you didn't really get any of that in this episode but i like that we already see min trying to protect rand a little bit so yeah we see men talk about the visions she sees for rand where i want to talk to you about these because i understand one of them yeah i had a little issue with one of me too with a, one of min's visions but me too i'll talk to you, you about you that too keep going yeah yes so men mentions that she sees three beautiful women which, check, check, check. We're good yeah, with that one. That. Mm. Then she sees rainbows. I, I think rainbows and carnivals. And I think the rainbows and carnivals are just her being... Because it was just like, oh, I see rainbows and carnivals. And three beautiful women. Almost like her just being a little sarcastic. Okay. That's how I okay. take it as... I know some people have some speculation outside of that. But, you know, I think for her character, in, and we know her role in all this... Yeah. Um, I think that she's doing that to kind of play light with some of it to make it seem less intense because we already know how she feels. Okay. So then we also get her describing the first one I don't like, which is her vision that she had of Tam. And it's like, she basically is like, I looked at him and I knew he'd be raising the Dragon Reborn next to a sleepy village on a farm in the, in the two, two rivers. In the two. And I'm just like, okay, so if Orion already knew where you were, you didn't just tell her all this? You're not freaking out that, you know, the Dragon Reborn's like going to be there? like For real, right? I was like, that that's just too much. I thought that one was taking much. it too far. I could yeah. see her, like, seeing Tam and seeing, like, a ghost baby in his arm and, like, blood and snow all around him. But, yeah. like, I the don't... The whole future? Yeah, the no. whole thing? No, thank you. That was a little bad. Yeah, they took that a little too far. Um, That's why I was like, what exactly are men's show powers now? Because if she can see that detail of a vision, that's way above anything she's ever done in the books. And, I mean, I'm sure they could get away with it because... In the in the book, they talk about how, like, when the Dragon Reborn was born, like, that's when the prophecy was had by... Uh, Jatara Morosa. Yes. And it was, like, so strong that she died after it, you know? Yeah. And so I, I could see, like, her having a very acute reaction, but not to the point, like, I can tell the whole future of your life. Like, no. Yeah. And then how Rand asks her if he survives the Eye of the World, and she doesn't say anything. Correct. And I think... Again, maybe they're leaving some stuff off just to create some forced tension. I think we're going to find that they did a lot of that. Yeah. Um, so then we get Egwene going and looking for Nynaeve. 
and she, being like, oh, I know what you did. <laughs> because, yeah, she knew the minute she walked in there. And oh, she just yeah. sat on that bed and she was just like, I can't wait to throw this in her face. I know. She was smirking to herself and I thought that scene was so good. <laughs> yeah, it was really good. But then they're like, oh, I know you didn't sleep here. And then like having all these secret looks between each other. And then Perrin shows up and then everyone's like, wait, where's Rand? And, and you we see get, him going up to knock on the door, but it's not their door. Right. It's Moraine's door. Yeah. And Lan comes in and is like, Moraine masked the bond. I don't know where she is. She's gone. And they're like, wait, where's Rand? Did he go with her? And so then we see Rand going to Moraine and be like, it's me. I'm the Dragon Reborn. Which I wanted to talk to you about this because in the books... It takes Rand a long time to admit to himself that he is the Dragon Reborn. Yeah. He doesn't want to be put up as a false dragon by Moraine or any other Aes Sedai. And so I thought for him to just come out and say, "I, it's me. You know, it shows him trying to save his friends from what he perceives as death at the Eye of the World. But I don't really see that as something he would have done as far as like saying, I'm the Dragon Reborn. Because he didn't necessarily believe it as much in the books. Where show in the show here, it seems like he's kind of come to terms and all the moodiness we saw throughout the entire season was him dealing with that. That yeah. he could be the Dragon Reborn and finally accepting it at the end of the season. I think that's it's the, that's a good point there. They kind of took the second book, his unacceptance of it, to acceptance of it, like... Well, actually, he didn't really accept it until the third book. Right. Um, end of the third but, book. End of the third book. But they did just kind of force it into this first season, probably just to get the ball rolling and so they could go to the other arcs and not have to deal with two books of, it's, I don't know if I believe it. Um, it's me, but I'm going to deny it until I drive yeah. everyone crazy and then I'm going to go Correct. crazy myself. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, and I think they're using, like you had said, the vehicle of my three friends will die. Like we all go. But yeah. if it's just me, then it's Only fine. I'll die. Yeah. Yeah. Allegedly. Uh, and the fact so, that Moraine believes him and is willing to go without the other two shows, I think, that she had an inkling that it was him, too. Yeah. See, again, it comes down to what aren't we seeing these characters say or do on screen? We Correct. can't see their minds. We can't you know their thoughts. There's no Which voiceover the of there. Yeah. So, yeah. It'd be um, interesting to see what Moraine actually thought about Rand prior to this episode. Correct. And I feel like at some point we're going to get some flashbacks of her hearing bits of the prophecy and like knowing it was probably him because we haven't heard her say like how it was someone born on the slopes of Dragon Mountain or any of that. Right. And so like before when she was talking with, and this is like, this happens in the book too, she didn't know, but she had suspicions. Right, and that's and... like what Leandrin called her out on with Nynaeve earlier. Yeah. So now we do get to see Nine. Sorry, Moraine and Rand heading Going off into, into the, the blight. blight. So, what are your thoughts on the blight, Mike? It's interesting. I thought it was kind of cool. Like the the trees were bent, and it was like this weird like forest that just was like almost like i don't it know really it really looked, looked like something that was yeah diseased and infected to me mm -hmm. it was cool i do think though her going without land did seem yeah silly. i think that was a little a little much yeah 
Because I'm like, why are they having Moraine release Lan from his bond two episodes in a row? Right, right when things get hairy, when she needs him the most. And yeah. so, I don't know. It's a little funky for me, but... I agree. I think because they want this next scene to happen where they're... Or, sorry, not next scene. In next episode, my... I guess we're gonna, I'm going to go right into predictions if you're... Yeah, so it. let's jump into predictions for the next episode, which is called The Eye of the World, episode 8. So we're going to have the Edmonds Field 3 now and Lan chase after them and meet them up probably at some point. Probably bailing, bailing them out. Absolutely. And there's going to be this whole, why did you leave us, Ran? Because I'm the Dragon Reborn. Oh, no. How do you know? Oh, I know. I know. Uh, and, you know, this whole dramatic <laughs> scene and, like, parents just, like, relieved it's not him, but also then dealing with this whole wolf thing and uh, Nynaeve's just, like, everyone's like, oh, I'm glad it's not me. Oh, no, it's Rand. Um, so we'll get that probably. Yes. <laughs> Uh, and I think we'll, we may have even Pat and Fane show up. See, that's what I was thinking too, but I don't know necessarily what he would do unless he's a male Chandler, or is he going to try to like engage in battle and Lan's going to take him on or something like that. And maybe that's we see question. Fane has the dagger. I just, it, maybe he doesn't show up, um, but maybe like, it's like at the end of the episode, you know how we've talked about like the Sean yeah, Chan, like yes. showing up on the coast. Like maybe it's at the end cause they, what they find at the eye of the world as well. Spoiler! I know I'm not going to say, but uh, what they find and they bring back, maybe it's the end of the episode is him opening that up or, yeah, or like that's what I think it, it's more you know, of and yeah. setting up the next season, which they, I'm surprised they haven't even talked about that at all. That oh, I, I know. Even, right. Yeah. What did you think? So I think that we are 100% going to see, Moraine and Rand get to the Eye of the World first, start to try to take on everything that's there, start mm. losing, and then the everyone else shows up, gives them the aid they need, and then it takes mm. them over the edge so they're successful. I think that we are going to see some Forsaken finally oh, show up great. here. So I think that'd be yeah. great. Um, I, Probably uh, Ish... Ishi, Ishi? Wow. Ishi, Ishi, yeah. Um, well, we might see him. I was thinking more along the lines of some rotting corpses. Um, but so we do also, or I do think we'll also see the Sean Chan land at the end of the episode. I mm. think that we will see Pod and Fane make a move towards the end of the episode. I don't think he will be at the eye of the world. Um, I think that we will have the realization that, oh no, this battle was just the beginning. It's not nearly done yet. And, like, the eye of the world might get destroyed. And then they'll be like, well, where is the Dark One's prison then if it's not here? And, mm. like, finally reveal Shale Ghoul and everything like that. You'll have the battle from Faldara with the Trollocs attacking through Tarwin's Gap. Yeah. Um, it looks like it, if you watch the trailer for the next episode, I don't know if you saw it, they released not it. Not yet, no. Uh, it, it shows, like, maybe some action happening at the city itself. Oh, Okay. So, you know, make it more dramatic. Yeah, yeah, like probably like a full siege of Faldara. That'd be cool. Yeah. But yeah, I think that we will we'll see Rand battling the fiery-eyed friend that we've been seeing in the dreams and seeing how that goes. Um, it's kind of weird we haven't gotten more of him. I agree. 
special effects budget, maybe. I don't know. But something yeah. I do want to bring up as well is that we have not seen Rand get any training from Lan as far as sword swordsmanship goes. So, like, is Rand just going to go all raw power, raw skill, and just, like... Oh, because he doesn't... Does he have his bow? He has his bow. He has his bow, yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. Like, I think we might just see less sword, more one power, more bow. Yeah. Um, I mean, he really didn't get trained in the books until the second book anyway. That's really true, I guess. Like, he just did some basic stuff with him in the first book. Just how to hold a sword. Yeah. But yeah, so those are those are my predictions for um, the last episode of the season here, like setting up the couple big threats for the upcoming season, season two. Yeah, and which I we're thinking Sean Chan, yes, Patton Fane, yep, and I guess um, Leandrin. Maybe we see like Leandrin and some of her Reds ride out of Tar- of Tarbalan, but like not get it going and meeting up with anybody yet. Um, I also wonder if we might get a shot of the North Harbor man that Leandra has been meeting. Yeah. Um, I also, you know, I'm curious about like how this is going to do. Cause I could see those two being there. I could see, you know, like a big battle happening between Rand and the dark one or whoever that is with the fiery eyes and, yeah. um, having that be the season finale. I could definitely see Leandrin intercepting or getting the note from um, the sister there, from Faldara, and being like, I'm going to take this to my sisters, and then taking it to the North Harbor man. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, Oh, and for those listening, the North Harbor man is not a character in the books. No, no. We're we're speculating between each other and everything, and we're we're seeing how it is. man necessarily, and we'll just leave it at that. It could be. We'll see. Well. Yeah. <laughs> All right, but I think we're going to leave it there. This went a lot longer than I thought it was going to for this one. I know. We we had a lot to kind of really, nit, I guess, got get a little critical at. We did. I did like this episode. But yeah, let's end it like this. So, Mike, what were your final thoughts of this episode? It was good. Definitely had some issues with some of the portrayal of different things. The ways was too short. They should have spent more time in it. Um, and definitely had more than one Trollic. <laughs> Uh, is that too much to ask for? <laughs> I know. I mean, at least three. <laughs> I think some of the things that stood out for me, the positives were definitely Nynaeve and Lan's relationship building. Yeah. And, like, the whole backstory cuts or flashbacks from Rand where we got the reveal of the dragon. Yeah. So, overall, my overall my thoughts were I do genuinely like this episode. I liked this episode better than episode five and episode six. Um, I know, like, we were pretty negative about a lot of the stuff here, but it's because we're, like, trying to, like, trying to be critical of it as well as, you know, still enjoy it. Um, So I did genuinely like this episode. I thought that the relationship between Nynaeve and Lan was really good. I really liked some of the, like, leadership that Egwene showed in this episode as well. Like, kind of stepping Mm -hmm. forward and being like, you know, I am going to the eye of the world like being the first of the Emmons fielders to say that I really like the flashback scenes there. Um, I liked how you saw like the, the growth of Rand in this episode. Like, I feel like this episode did more character development for Rand than anything else. And again, I can't mention things I like without saying how much I really enjoyed the blood snow scene. So I thought that was fantastic. Really looking forward to seeing our season finale next week, right before Christmas. So We'll see how that goes about when I actually get to watch this. But 
I oh, hope. Yeah. Speaking of which, this next episode's probably going to come out a little later because I'll be out of town until Wednesday. So. Yeah, so maybe we'll record later next week and then uh, do an episode then. Um, but we hope you guys enjoy it. If you have any other theories that you think can think of for this episode that you think you might see in the season finale, if you have anything you think we might have missed in this episode or anything like that, again, reach out to us at wheeloftimerewind at gmail.com or on the socials at WOT Rewind. But until next time, we'll see you guys at the next turning of the wheel. Goodbye. Bye. Into the Into blight, the blight we go. We go. <laughs>